Welcome to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hey everybody, what's up? It's Dr. Jamie and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous Podcast, Hard to Kill Academy. We're going to be putting this content actually out on multiple um, platforms because this is a really, really fun thing that you guys get to listen to today. So I have a guest with me, Dr. JC Folkers. You guys may have heard him. He's been on my podcast before. Um, He is with Blokes and uh, Joy. They do men's and women's health. And uh, we decided to do some lab testing and did a whole bunch of labs, a whole bunch of labs. And we're going to go through them today. And you guys know that I am full transparency. So the things that I talk about, you know, Yes, I'm a doctor. Um, I'm a, I'm going to give my opinion on some of this today. Um, so this will be such a fun conversation for you guys to hear, you know, kind of back and forth. But I really um, want to be authentic. I want to be transparent. I'm not just somebody on Instagram telling you to do something because it makes me a bunch of money. Um, that's just not the case. I'm a human and you guys know my story. Um, maybe you don't. Maybe you're listening and you have no idea who I am. Uh, So if that's the case, welcome. Uh, My name is Dr. Jamie Seaman, and I'm a former pre-diabetic. I also used to have hypothyroidism, so grew up as an athlete, um, had three pregnancies, failed all my glucose testing, and so back in 2015, set out on a journey to kind of figure out my own health um, because doctors are patients too. We're actually horrible patients most of the time, (laughs) Um, (laughs) if you've ever had to take care of us. And so I, you know, thankfully have the ability to do a lot of testing. And so I have tested some of the things we're going to talk about today, but actually not all of them. And so we um, decided to do this because um, Dr. Fulkers was like, hey, you might have some blind spots that you don't know about. And that is completely true. Um, Sometimes we just don't realize what might be lurking. There could be genetic susceptibilities. There could just be things that maybe just aren't optimized even with what you're doing. So this is going to be an incredible um, conversation and um, I can't wait for you guys to to hear all this. So um, we will, maybe I can somehow, um, I don't know if we'll like post these actual things. I obviously don't want to give you like my uh, (laughs) social security number and date of birth and copy of my driver's license. But uh, but, uh, but I also love the transparency. We were just joking before we came on, um, you know, like you guys are going to find out, like I might be doing liver King type things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope someone's not making like a secret YouTube video and <laughs> breaking them all down behind my back. So, uh, I put out the content first. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Dr. JC Folkers, welcome. Thank you. Yes. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome you. back. Pleasure. Okay. So, um, I guess for our listeners, Tell me, tell them like what kind of testing we did here and like what things you're looking for. And then I'll, I'll let you lead and we yeah. can dive into dissecting these things. Yeah. And so you real quick, so you mentioned you were a former pre-diabetic. Can you tell yeah, me? Yeah. And you bit? can, I guess, maybe ask me, yeah. um, cause I've never been your patient before. Yeah. So, um, and, and we haven't talked a lot actually previously about my history prior to right. all this lab testing. So maybe there's things that you want to know based on kind of like what you see here. So yeah, basically, um, was healthy. What I thought was healthy. Most mm-hmm. of my life went to college was a, you know, collegiate athlete, then transitioned to medical school. Now I'm sitting on my butt for long periods of time, kind of stopped weightlifting, was doing a lot more cardio, did a little stint with P90X. Um, it was fun. Um, yeah. and then, went into three pregnancies in my first pregnancy, failed my one hour, 
mm. past my three hour, um, was actually working out in that pregnancy a decent amount, mostly cardio because I had time cause I didn't have kids. And, um, after my pregnancy was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and was put on, um, Synthroid levothyroxine T4 replacement. And then went on to have two more pregnancies. My second pregnancy was my worst insulin resistance. My one hour glucose was like over 200, um, with a 50 gram test and then was still on thyroid meds. And then after my third daughter was born was when I was like, I I don't feel great. I knew my dad was kind of like a normal BMI diabetic and his parents Mm. were. So I asked for my A1C to be checked and it was high. I was a pre-diabetic. And so that was kind of the point in my life where I felt like a fraud almost because Mm -hmm. here I have this nutrition degree. I'm a medical doctor. I mean, I was running half marathons. I will admit my diet wasn't great. There were stints where I was trying to lose the baby weight. And all I knew from my nutrition degree was like cut fat and count calories. I had Mm -hmm. this little paper pencil thing. I would like write down my little food diary and what I ate. And I was literally just trying to eat a calorically restricted diet. So when I found out I had prediabetes and hypothyroidism, I transitioned to, I did whole 30. I had some Mm. doctor friends that were like, Hey, do you want to do this with us? I was still breastfeeding at the time, my youngest um, child. And so I had started whole 30 and I saw a little dip in my milk supply. I probably naturally started to cut calories, not realizing it, you know, transitioning to the whole 30. And then after that 30 days, then I was like, I'll do paleo. And I was so busy. I was like ordering meals from Evolve to make it easier for myself. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that paleo didn't include cheese. And (laughs) I really like cheese, you guys. Cheese is good. I don't know. I've just, I've never eaten. um, Yeah, I love cheese. Okay. Um, And then I found the ketogenic diet. And it sounded very um, fad-like, I guess. I'll just say when I first, my mom had done Atkins once in my lifetime. I had watched her do that. I watched my mother lose large amounts of weight in her life, like hundred pounds, regain them. My mom was like a chronic yo-yo dieter. Um, and my dad was a collegiate athlete, but I grew up in the eighties and nineties, like hamburger helper, but like without the hamburger, <laughs> hated fruits and vegetables as a kid, but also like didn't really love meat. So it's like no surprise at all that I ended up insulin resistant. I was a complete carb addict. And even in medical school, I remember like, I wrote about this in my book, Hard to Kill. I was counting goldfish crackers because I thought if you just controlled the amount of food that you put in your mouth, that that's all you had to do. So I was literally like counting goldfish crackers. So then my diet since 2015 has kind of evolved to a period where in 2018, I went more carnivore, was kind of dabbling in that. And now my diet is uh, very meat-based. I eat a lot of red meat and eggs. I do eat some vegetables. I eat a little bit of fruit here and there. Um, Currently, because I think what I'm eating now might be most pertinent to like what we're going to see on these labs. So Mm -hmm. I guess my diet right now, um, I eat a few more carbs. um, Like I'll do blueberries. Um, I haven't really done much sweet potato, but like some berries or cassava. But I I eat a lot of meat and eggs, a little bit of cheese. Um, And that's like, kind of where I've found my sweet spot with my diet, like how I can maintain it and feel and function good. And I tell people that all the time. I don't care what you do, if it's vegan or carnivore or somewhere in between, if your labs look good and you feel good, then that's right. like the right thing for you. So perfect. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, thanks for that, um, that information. So I, I too was a pre-diabetic and I was more so because I was grew up in the era where all the trainers and strength coaches said, you have to eat every two hours, mm. you know, you know, eat six, eight meals a day. So I did that. And 
by the time I was in my late twenties, early thirties, in between meals, I would be like shaking, you know? Oh, I was hangry, (laughs) hangry. I was like waiting for my next meal and snack. I built my whole day around when I was going to eat next. Right. And, and we would we would go out for brunch, and my my uh, daughter, one of my daughters, is a type one diabetic, and mm. so she was checking her blood sugar. And one time, you know, we we were at a, a restaurant, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I need to eat, and you know, I'll just whatever I could get my hands on. And I just happened to check my blood sugar, and it was like thirty. Wow. <laughs> it was like super. Yes, yeah, so my insulin spikes were hyper yeah, yeah. So I was very, uh, yeah, I was dropping my sh- blood sugars were all over the place, and so I was pre diabetic. Um, then and so the reason we order labs the way we do and the way we interpret labs the way we do is because i feel um to your point you know we we tend to go to a doctor or brainwash to think we should go to a doctor when things are we're not we're not feeling right mm. we tend to be reactive and we t- in in the way doctors order labs um they order labs you go to a, a, a lab and the range they're going off of is a standard range that is derived ultimately from the lab creating this statistic of individuals that go to that lab. So we're being compared to other unhealthy people for the most part. So the way, so I'm not looking at your labs or any of our patients labs and saying, Jamie, you're in this big standard range. You're normal. You know, good luck. Yeah. I'm looking at your labs more in this optimal range. I want you to be the best version of you and try to move all of these markers you know, we, we'll talk about some nutrient deficiencies based on optimal because there's optimal Jamie and there's Jamie, you know, yeah. that, because here's the thing. If you look at your lab panel, um, your markers, if you're all in the optimal range, you're, they're all going to be green. I have yet to come across anyone that's all green. We all have things to work on. <laughs> see this? Can you see this page? There's like, there's little yellow so there. There's some ye- little yellow. And I think there's a page that has red. See, oh, oh, see that? Yeah, that, so you guys, so I've yet to come across anyone that's all green, that's all optimized. We all have things to work on, but but labs are also transient. Things are things are changing. Yeah, they're always in flux. Always, always, always shifting. From I mean, you know, things like testosterone, we'll see that you know drop if a person has stress, and we'll see blood sugar spike when a person has stress. And so these things we're we're looking at yeah. are snapshots in time, and so that's how we kind of go after you know each person is reading them a little bit differently, but also ordering a panel that's comprehensive. So we want to get a, a good deep peek under the hood to see some things that we can tr- catch before they become an issue. So, yeah. so when we look at your labs, I'll kind of jump around these markers. Like um, one of the areas that, that we, we can talk about would be in your case, like magnesium. If you see the magnesium marker there, it's like a uh, it's a serum magnesium. So yes. the optimal range, optimal magnesium is like 220, or I'm sorry, 2.2 to 2.5. Um, standard range, 1.5 to 2.5. So, so it's a big serum range. magnesium, 1.8. So 1.8 serum magnesium, suboptimal. So to me, that's like, well, you may benefit from some magnesium support. Doesn't mean taking magnesium pills, like, because I, I, I talk to patients all the time there. I got them, but you guys, I am, I'm telling you right now, if I ever need a life-saving medication, y'all better just dig my grave because <laughs> remembering to take things right. on a regular basis is really hard for me. I've figured out ways, like if I put it at my desk at work, um, I get a little ADD between patient charting, I'm like more likely to take things. Mm. Um, my morning routine, um, I do electrolytes 
in my shaker bottle on the way to the gym. It's got a little bit of magnesium and I do sometimes take additional magnesium. Sometimes I take it at night for sleep, but I will be the first to admit I'm definitely not consistent about magnesium supplementation. And and it's, you know, it's one of those things too, where um, I see magnesium deficiency so common now in all these panels I do partially because we're just not getting a lot of magnesium Mm -hmm. from our, from our nutrition, from, from, you know, this, you've heard the soils are so depleted right? in, in, um, but supplementation, some people, it moves the needle. I will tell you a lot of patients that have come to us that have high blood pressure and they get their magnesium optimized blood pressure yeah. levels out. Because magnesium relaxes the muscle yes. that's in the artery. It's a great way um, to relax the, the blood vessel and what we call vasodilate in yes. pregnancy world. We give magnesium when patients are preeclamptic. Boom. Uh, to prevent eclampsia, we literally give massive amounts of magnesium, you guys, like a two gram bolus, which is given wow. like in less than an hour. And then we put them on um, four gram maintenance on that. Yeah. So this is like massive amounts. Now you can overdose magnesium and cause heart arrhythmias. Uh, so massively more isn't always better. Um, but yeah, magnesium. I love that. Okay. For, for patients with hypertension or blood pressure. Absolutely. And in, and then in, um, in addition to supplements, capsules, um, transdermal method of, mm. of, of, that's why Epsom salt baths, you know, getting magnesium through your skin, you can actually absorb a lot more that way. I hate baths, <laughs> but I did buy magnesium lotion one time, but yes. it made my legs itchy. Yeah. That's the thing. I, Cause we, um, we used to carry a spray in the office where people would spray, you know, on their body and they're like, Oh, it itches. And it seems that that itchiness seems, seems to subside after you've done it a few times, yeah. but, um, great way to, you can, if you have like low back pain sprayed on the, that, the muscle mm. helps it relax great way to get magnesium into your system. So that's something um, I see in your panel that, you know, okay. could use a little help. Um, moving on down the list. So let's, let's jump into some hormones. So we talked about testosterone a little bit before we got on here, your level. No, um, you're actually, <laughs> we're not liver king level. <laughs> not liver king. Yeah. So remember there's optimal, and this is kind of frustrating for, I guess for, I feel sorry for women. There's just not a lot of like research and, and, and information out there. Like what's the optimal what's the best testosterone for a woman, right? And the reality is women, you always talk about, in, especially in your world, estrogen, progesterone, you know, the pregnancy hormone, progesterone, and all that. But however, if you look at estrogen and look at progesterone in the, in the peaks, guess how much testosterone is compared to estrogen and progesterone? It's like to the ceiling. Right. You, women make more testosterone. So everybody thinks about <laughs> testosterone as a male hormone, exactly. but women actually have more testosterone than their other sex hormones. And testosterone actually gets converted into estradiol. Right. So if you have low testosterone, then you actually have can have lower production of, of estradiol. Or if you have massive amounts, you can have more. Um, I have, uh, so for people who can't, uh, so to total testosterone was 26, 26. And the reference range on this lab is 35 to 45. And then free testosterone is 2.2. And the reference range on um, this lab is 3.25 to 4.6. I actually have tested this before and I always have ran on the lower side, it seems like, um, which is interesting to me because I have lean body mass and I have had a history of what we thought clinically was PCOS and Mm -hmm. I do gain muscle. Like I wouldn't say I'm like a hard gainer. So this has always been like perplexing to me um, to see this, but um, the other thing about reference ranges of testosterone only because I work in women's health is um, there is actually not a great um, consensus on right. what is a normal testosterone in women. Right. Um, a lot of it has been studied in men. 
Um, and for things like hypoactive sexual desire disorder, um, there is some evidence for uh, testosterone replacement and and really bumping these women up to to higher end of, of optimal normal ranges. But right. that's hard because I'm not sure we really know what the normal optimal range is. Yeah, and that's why, you know, because we do have in, in our um, company. So you guys can tell I'm not juicing. Okay. It's not juicing. <laughs> no, and, I, and it's, it's interesting because I, I test a lot of elite athletes that you'd think like, oh my gosh, their testosterone must be through the roof. And yeah. there, there doesn't really, really seem to be a correlation between high testosterone and, you know, we see obviously, you know, high level female athletes, very fit, very muscular, like next to no testosterone. Yeah. You know, so. um, The other thing too, is I, before the, and there's a couple other labs that I think this applies to is I had these labs drawn. I went to the gym that morning Mm. and worked out like really hard. um, And then had these drawn. I don't know if it has the time of the lab drawn here. Um, Was it in the afternoon? But generally, no, no, no. These are morning fasted labs. And so, um, and I work out at 5.30 a.m. So I think these were drawn probably an hour and a half after my gym session. Mm. So that may impact some of these too. Maybe testosterone. Yeah. So like for optimal testosterone, like you said, 35 to 45 is where we like to see women. And there's a correlation oftentimes with low testosterone and another hormone, which which is a little bit low in your case, DH. E-A-S. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and if you look, optimal DHEAS for female is 275 to 391. Yours came in at 115. That's a hormone secreted by your adrenals. And it is, it uh, you know, upstream can start converted into testosterone and estradiol, which yeah. both in your case are suboptimal. So some women can benefit by supplementing with DHEA. Yeah. So I uh, at one point tried some DHEA supplementation, but once again, I'm not very good at remembering <laughs> to take it. And so, um, but this is all interesting to me. I don't have labs that were drawn. Um, I wish I had these like right. years ago because um, I definitely have noticed like estrogen in particular. Um, I obviously did a bodybuilding competition um, a year ago, last April, and right before the competition lost my period. So obviously mm. as your body fat goes down, your estrogen levels and sex hormones do tend to go down too. Um, and that was always my question with more of a high fat approach, if those could be preserved. But I have definitely noticed as when my body fat is lower and my estrogen's lower, my cycle shortens. Mm. So there was like a point in time, like when I was really carnivore that like my cycle got down to like 23, 24 days, which we kind of consider most normal cycles are going to be more like 26, 28, maybe even like 31, 32 days long. So as my body fat's higher, my cycle tends to lengthen, probably more estrogen. And as my body fat gets lower, it tends to shorten. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they consider, you know, adipose tissue is an an endocrine order, an endocrine organ itself because it secretes those hormones. So that's, that makes sense. Um, There is another marker. And I believe when I had these drawn, I was like around cycle day 21. Mm. So that's part of it too, is kind of interpreting sex hormones. You have to know where somebody is at in their menstrual cycle. So I tend to check a lot of cycle day three um, hormones. Um, And I, when I always check them at that time, it's easier for me to kind of figure out from a fertility perspective, you know, um, because that's when estrogen should be kind of surging. So we, we could have caught this estradiol, um, in a place of the luteal phase, because estrogen does come up a little bit in luteal phase and then comes crashing down. So somebody could check this maybe like the week before their period and perceive that like their estrogen's low when it's really not low. Mm-hmm. And then you and I were kind of talking before we came on, these hormones change literally every single day of the cycle. 
So it is kind of important to know in a menstruating woman where they're at in the cycle when you check these, because sure. you have to say, does that correlate with where they're at? Or is there, you know, like an issue you can do? There are some labs that will, um, where you can do like a salivary or urinary test. We call it cycle mapping. Mm-hmm. Um, Precision Analytic does it, but you can kind of like map out those normal textbook kind of graphs of like what's happening with estrogen and progesterone and kind of see if there's a problem there. So that's something for listeners to kind of understand too. And on that note, I just, I have a question for you. Is it true? So like, you know, the first half of the cycle, women are more like kind of higher estrogen, more estrogen dominant, second half more, less estrogen. Yeah. Can, can women get away with when it comes to like, you know, caloric restriction, fasting earlier in the, in their cycle versus, versus later? Yeah. Okay. So for people listening, let me just tell you what my labs were. So this is like cycle day 21. So that's considered luteal phase, Mm -hmm. which is the second half of the um, cycle. So FSH was 2.6 and LH was 4.0. So that is, that's normal for that part of the cycle. So FSH and LH will be lower. You get this um, rise in those uh, FSH at the beginning of the cycle, which is stimulating the ovary to make estrogen from those follicles. And then you'll get this LH surge around Mm -hmm. the time of ovulation um, and LH will be more predominant in the luteal phase. So that's why the LH is a little higher than FSH on these labs. So 2.6 and Mm 4.0. And then um, testosterone surges right around ovulation. So basically like right before ovulation, because what does that do? Well, that, that surge in testosterone makes you feel great and primal. Like you want to go out and reproduce. Um, So, you know, maybe it could be a little lower because we've entered luteal phase. Um, And then estradiol, um, like you just mentioned. So you get this huge production of estradiol that grows the endometrial lining during follicular phase. And then after ovulation, estrogen comes down, it kind of goes back up a little bit and then it tanks with progesterone right before the cycle, which is what causes those, you know, PMS, PMDD type symptoms for some patients. Um, but you're right. There is definitely physiological differences in the first two weeks of the cycle when you've got a lot more estrogen, I definitely feel great in the gym. I recover easier. My blood sugars are more stable. Um, That's the time to like really hit things hard, go for the PR in the gym. And then you have ovulation occur. And then as the estrogen's coming down and progesterone's coming up, you get a little more blood sugar instability. Um, There's a period of time where you get a little more water retention, Mm -hmm. feel the, the progesterone slows down the GI tract. So you have delayed gastric emptying. You feel more constipation. Um, you don't feel they've done studies. There is no change in strength in the gym based on the follicular phase and the luteal phase, but I've made comments on social media before. I will tell you that the rate of perceived exertion is way Mm. different. Like, you know, pushing 200 pounds in follicular phase for me, I feel like I could push 300, right? So rate of perceived exertion is going to be like, oh, that's only like a three out of 10. Whereas if I take the same 200 pounds in luteal phase, I'm like, oh my God, this is nine out of 10. Like I can't push any more weight. But Mm -hmm. the strength, I mean, in the studies would suggest that it's actually very similar and that a woman doesn't necessarily have to change the way that she trains. But my advice would be that based on that kind of rate of perceived exertion being very different and just your ability to recover is go really hard in follicular phase, do a little bit more low intensity, you know, dial back a little bit in in luteal phase for recovery Um, because there are, differences in in how you feel for sure for sure wow and you think about it it's like the body is basically thinking every single month that it's going to be pregnant right so mm-hmm. what's it doing it's Dropping. slowing you yep. down it's right like there's a reason that we feel that way progesterone is literally pro gestation mm-hmm. so it's 
keeping that lining thick and fluffy, waiting for an embryo to implant. And then when it doesn't happen, it all starts back over wow. again, which obviously we don't want to get pregnant every single month. <laughs> um, but, um, but that's what it's doing. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate, you know, should you change your diet? Should you do right. this? Certainly if you aren't on any sort of hormonal birth control that inhibits ovulation, you might t- be able to be kind of in tune with this cycle and, you know, kind of change your daily patterns. For me, I just kind of keep it as like a, like a check in the back of my head. Like I do track my cycles. Um, so I know what day I'm on and I kind of just know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And I try to troubleshoot it as I need to, but, um, there definitely are changes in the first two weeks versus the second two weeks. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, you know, girl dad. So I'm always trying to Share that You're trying to figure them out. With, yeah, with them all the time. You know. Ben, are you taking notes? Yeah, 17-year-old, always at Dad, what do I do to build muscle and this? And But, yeah, I mean, it, it makes me think for, like, you know, female athletes, you know, how the, the, the nuances and changes, is in, you know, in how that can affect performance and recovery and all those yeah. things. So Yeah, it's a big deal. Big deal. Um, deal. There's another um, couple markers I want to, you know, move on to uh, that kind of look at point to some potential deficiencies, some blind spots we want to, you know, and one is, um, one is alkaline, alkphos, alkaline phosphatase, which is a little bit on the low side compared to optimal. And the other is serum zinc. So both kind of correlate with a potential, you know, need, or you could probably benefit from a, a little bit more zinc. And, and I like to talk about zinc a little bit, cause like, you know, grow, you know, growing up, I, once again, I, ate the standard American diet, a lot of grains and a lot of things like that. And, um, you know, if you have white little white lines in your fingernails, you've heard that one. It's yeah. a way you can, yeah. um, it's a sign of like you potential. Can't, I, got, you, you, I was going to ask you, you got pretty yeah, nails. Got so pretty nails on. I got these little white lines. I used to have <laughs> a lot more, but that's, that could be a sign of a zinc deficiency because like most people that follow a standard American diet, you know, I used to have very thin nails, but oh, yeah. I would say with my more like meat based diet and I do collagen, yep. you know, uh, they're, these, these are my, these are my actual nails. You guys, these aren't fake nails. I mean, I have stuff on them, but these are my real nails. Oh. So for those of you watching the video, I mean, these suckers are, they look dead. deadly. Yeah. Like <laughs> talons. <laughs> yeah. So. so that's, um, and like I said, I'm, I'm looking at you compared to optimal. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't like, oh my gosh, you have to get, uh, I did a little zinc during COVID, but, yeah. um, I had some zinc lozenges, but, uh, but zinc and copper can compete in the body. Correct. So you don't want to like just, right. that was one thing I was worried about during COVID is people taking these like massive amounts of zinc. Um, but uh, oysters are a good thing. And I don't, I don't love oysters. I do love seafood, but yeah. yeah and, and like there's, there are some like less invasive tests. So you can do that zinc taste test where you put mm. that zinc solution in your mouth and see if you, if you taste it right away, you know, you have enough zinc. And if you don't taste it, you're like, Interesting. Hmm. I need more like zinc. The topical iodine test. Yeah, and, yeah, like yeah. It, and and uh, and oftentimes people that are deficient in zinc, you just need to supplement like like thirty days. So zinc, like I like to approach supplementation as what it in, implies, supplementing what's not there, not just like black. You know, I have so many patients right, like that, strategic, correct? Like not a backpack full of supplements, right. which some patients yep, come yep. in. <laughs> and, I, and you're like, why are you taking this? And like, I don't know. Yeah, is <laughs> it just, making you feel better? <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so there's something there I kind of saw. Um, okay. That's a good one. And then another one I always, you know, harp on is vitamin D, which, you know, everybody talks about how vitamin D is so important and you're pretty close to optimal on, with vitamin D. And, and I like to really, you know, 
communicate to vit- that people vitamin D is, is actually more like a hormone. I mean, it plays a role in so many different health functions, mood, immune health, other hormones. Yeah. Um, you're at 47, so you're better than most people I test, but I, I even like to see that higher. I mean, the range is 50. I seem to run like, mm-hmm. four, this is probably the low end, a 50 to 60 when I've tested it Good. before. So it might be, um, yeah, I'm kind of, I like to see it like 50 to 70 in patients. So right. Yeah, but I do tend to be kind of on that that uh, that lower end of optimal. But I once again, I don't supplement. My husband, he takes D3K2. Um, that's a whole other podcast episode <laughs> about his uh, his heart. But um, once again, I'm horrible at supplementing. Did he have some, calcification or is that kind yeah, of K2? Oh. It's gonna be. It's coming, awesome. you guys. It's gonna be a whole thing. Love it. Um, but yeah, at a young age, he found coronary artery calci- calcium, and um, he recently had a repeat test, and it's now zero. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, we're trying to make sure that the testing is real. So he mm-hmm. went and had a CCTA done. Um, what, where do they inject dye? Actually, look for soft black. Mm. There's none there. Um, so he's been taking D3 K2, but you know, even if it's a case report, a case series or whatever, we're trying to figure out what, like, how did, how, how do you do that? Because right. it's been, you know, said that it really can't be done. <laughs> so, um, but in most patients, like if I had to recommend just like three supplements, it's funny that you've picked out these things on my labs. Cause I would say like magnesium is a huge one that I recommend to a lot of patients and definitely vitamin D cause we're in. We're recording right now, you guys, in Omaha, Nebraska. We live at like a latitude of the world where we're not near the equator. So we have something called winter here where it's very, (laughs) I mean, I'm talking like cold where it hurts your bones um, and snow. So getting sunlight uh, year round is not not super exciting in Nebraska. So let's pivot a little bit from all the things that we we need to like bring up and let's talk about some of the things you're doing great uh, um, on. So like starting at the top, you're fasting glucose. You're, you're in that optimal range. So fasting glucose was 86, 86. You're in that optimal range, 70, 75 to 86. Um, Hemoglobin A1C 4.9, which I think is the lowest A1C I've ever had, Wow. which is interesting too. Cause I'm, um, well, I'm not eating a lot of carbs. I don't know. I'm definitely eating low carb, but, um, that's the lowest A1C I think I've ever had. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, in the thing with, metabolic health is, you know, a lot of us, a lot of people tend to think the main contributing thing that moves the needle when it comes to fasting glucose and A1C is what we eat, but there's other things that bring up blood sugar, things like stress, things yeah. like poor sleep, things like stress. Which And who knows, I bet my fasting glucose was a little right. lower and, you know, I came from the gym, even though I was in a fasted state, mm-hmm. you demand, if you ever wear a CGM, right. when you go to the gym, you can Boom. see this big glucose spike. And I think I was running around, I was rounding at the hospital. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, that is something your fasting number, depending on how right. quick you check it, you could be seeing cortisol effect, um, if it's, you know, soon after you wake up, but yeah, that's still a good, that's still a good range. And, and then knowing that you worked out, obviously there had to been like a little bit of a uptick in, in, in the, the glucose, but the, the insulin is a little, as you can see is a little yep. higher. 8.3. I was probably thinking about eating. Chan- chan- probably thinking about eating. <laughs> yeah. I don't fast. I sometimes will fast till noon, but when I'm at a lower body fat and when I work out or that early in the morning, a lot of times I mm. will get, you know, some protein and fat in, um, sometimes not always, but, um, I've checked my fasting insulin before and I've seen it in like the four to six range. So this is actually a little high for me, but, um, it's not horrible. Right. So, I mean, metabolically. So it's 8.3, 8.3 fasting, fasting. insulin, 8.3. In, um, in the optimal range, we like to see, you know, 
uh, two, two to five. Most Americans, I mean, honestly, most Americans are like 10 to 12 or, or higher. Um, and the thing about, the thing about insulin resistance and, you know, there's so much focus on, bl- on the blood sugar, on the sugar, on the A1C, Yeah. but your body will do whatever, you know, it can to keep that fasting glucose down. And that's where, that's why it, it's so ideal to check the insulin. I say this all the time, you guys, this is like, write this down on paper. I always say if the glucose is normal, it's normal at the cost of what amount of insulin. Right. And this is so important because like in my pregnancies, for instance, um, you heard me say like in my first pregnancy, I Mm -hmm. failed the one hour and passed the three hour. Okay, great. Now you think you're in the clear. No, 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 no. You have hyperinsulinemia. So your body is putting out massive amounts of insulin to, to pass that 100 gram glucose test and make that three hour test normal, right. you still have hyperinsulinemia and these patients are still at risk for large babies. My babies were eight pounds, two ounces, eight pounds, 15 ounces, and eight pounds, 13 ounces. Now maybe genetically that's just the size baby Ben and I were going to make. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> Him and I were both like six or seven pounds. Um, and so hyperinsulinemia can still have a lot of ramifications. And so I say this all the time, if the glucose is normal at the cost of what amount of insulin, but it's something that we don't measure We don't, and we don't have like a continuous insulin monitor. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, Peter Atia did a fantastic post. Uh, it's been months ago now. I could see if I can refine it, but he did a test on somebody where they did this glucose test that I'm talking mm-hmm. about, where you do a glucose challenge but they checked glucose and insulin and, and he displayed it wonderfully in this subject. I want to say it was like a middle-aged man and he passed the glucose test. But when you look at the insulin, right. it like went up and then it went up and up and up and up and the glucose was normal. And so this displayed it just beautifully right. that there was this huge, robust hyperinsulinemic response to make the glucose normal. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, and it is the insulin that, continues to go up and up that leads to insulin resistance that manifests itself in pretty much every organ system as a disease process. So first the insulin goes up, then it starts to become resistant. Then the glucose goes up, then the A1C goes up. So like by the time my doctor is checking my labs and saying you're a pre-diabetic based on A1C, like things have been bad for five years. Wow. I mean, but the cool part about this, what I've seen clinically is you can actually although this like happens slowly over years and years and years, you can fix insulin resistance like really quickly. Like when we institute a low carb or ketogenic diet in a patient with insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, the de-escalation of like right. medical therapy is like really, really fast. Um, and they even said, um, Ben Bickman shared something recently that just nine days of being sedentary, nine days of being sedentary causes insulin resistance. I believe it. So when you think about that, okay, that sucks, right? Um, but at the same time, you can reverse it pretty quickly. But you have to do that thing that reversed it consistently for the rest of your life. No, the body's so amazing. So like you said, you can, for decades, eat like garbage and, and have be, and be pre-diabetic, but literally reverse it in a couple months. Yeah, for you, sure. I mean, that's how amazing our bodies are. Um, so I was going to ask, so I, there, I like to, I like, like to look at certain patterns of markers so it's look, kind of looking at like one marker in your case so i'll just kind of go through them. so bun tiny bit tiny bit elevated i mean from a from a um optimal standpoint it's at 17 so you know range is 10 to 16 another marker i looked at is total protein mm-hmm. in, in in the in the blood total protein 6.6 tiny bit 
low from 6.9 to 8.1. Another marker I like to look at is albumin, a little bit, a little bit low. Yeah. And then, and then we talked about, I keep trying to think how many hours fasted I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To kind of interpret that. But when I see this pattern, oftentimes individuals that ha- display this type of pattern it, um, are those that oftentimes may have low stomach acid. Mm. Not that they feel, oh, I, you know, um, symptoms of acid reflux, but I usually end up trying to focus on providing some digestive uh, support because, you know, with the low protein and, and that sort of thing, it's kind of, it can be indicative of, of uh, hypo, you know, of low stomach acid. Yeah. And when a person has st- low stomach, you mentioned hypothyroid before. Yeah. Oftentimes, it, you know, when a person has a low functioning thyroid, you know, it affects the parietal cells of the stomach, a yeah. little l- l- less stomach acid production. Those individuals sometimes may experience acid reflux, GERD, you know, symptoms of th- those. But, yeah. but, you know, we always hear the saying, you are what you eat. But really, if your stomach acid is not optimal, you're not breaking down those proteins, you're not getting the amino acids, you're kind of, you really are what you absorb. For sure. And so for sure. that's something that I, I noticed. And I don't yeah, know I've if- only had a reflux in my pregnancy is when I ate tomato-based products. Um, but um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, otherwise my, my digestion is really good. I mean, right. I eat a lot of meat, so, right. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, but, I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's something there. Yeah. It's interesting. They're, they're on like the very like I mean, cusp like, it, it, of it, like in, the in, low end of normal. So in, I wonder like maybe, you know, it could be the workout, how long I was right. fasted. Once again, I always think you guys, if you see something like this, mm-hmm. trend it, you know, like what check you, it. What were you doing? Check it multiple times, kind of take it in the context of what was happening that day. Were you sick the day before, you know, X, Y, Z. But like, I think these are really good things to like trend over time, like a pattern, you know, months or years or whatever. Yeah. And then when it comes to trend, like with um, your markers, there was like a positive ANA on the, did you see that on the quest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we could, we could, we could talk about that too. I think it was probably a false positive. That is okay, definitely right. something that has a, can have a high false positivity rate. And that is a lab that you definitely want to correlate with clinical symptoms. Correct. Um, and when I looked at the titer, yeah, I, I did. Don't worry. I texted like all my doctor <laughs> friends and I'm like, dude, am I going to die? Um, <laughs> So the ANA is an anti-nuclear um, antibody, and it can be a sign of rheumatologic diseases. Um, autoimmune. And once again, something you would want to check, you know, multiple times and correlate with clinical symptoms. But yeah, autoimmune. Um, but I've checked my thyroid antibodies before too and, and um, to make sure that that wasn't a cause of my hypothyroidism. And I think yeah, those were on here, weren't they? Yeah, your, your thyroid yeah. antibodies were in the normal yeah, range. Yeah, so no and, thyroid antibodies. And when, you know, when I, when I kind of go dig deeper, like the, the low protein, the low globulin, the elevated BUN, the low albumin, oftentimes that can also be an indication of some, and like, once again, most times there's no symptoms of this, but there could be some gastric inflammation, you know, in the gut, which could, um, you know, we oftentimes I'll order some, in some cases, a food sensitivity test for patients and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see you know, elevation of certain IgG antibodies where certain foods and some they're off the charts and they're like, wow, you know, when I do eat that, I'm not, you know, I don't, I, I, I kind of a day or two later, my, my joints hurt or, or I'll have a headache. Um, so oftentimes that could be indicative of like, you know, just wanting to support, you know, the gut lining mm-hmm. and that could just be, you know, um, adding in things like, you know, some, some colostrum, some collagen protein, you know, more of those yeah. things, L-glutamine, some patients will, will add things like, like marshmallow root extracts, slippery elm, mark, and even like some licorice root. So things just kind of help heal, heal that gut. Not, I mean, your, your numbers are so close to being optimal. I just wanted to kind of throw that out as like, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. these are good things to think about for sure. Um, folate. Let's see here. I look. I was looking at because your B twelve. You, you must be doing something. Well, must, must be the meat or the. <laughs> well, you guys, um, I think this may have been high. Okay, so B twelve optimal range is four fifty to eleven hundred, and mine okay. was like eleven hundred and fifteen. Um, I do eat a lot of meat. Um, I eat a lot of eggs. I mean, I definitely get enough B12 in my diet, but, um, I gave up alcohol for a year on October 1st and I've been trying a lot of like nootropic drinks and things like that. And I have noticed a lot of them have massive amounts of (laughs) B12 B12 in them. So although I don't supplement B12 in a pill form, I drink some beverages that have like massive amounts of B12. And, um, there's one in particular called Koyos. Either they should sponsor this, this podcast. Um, please send me a free case. Uh, <laughs> um, but it has like insane amounts of B12. And I, I feel like I remember drinking one maybe like the night before this test, but mm. it's water soluble. So it's not going to like hang out and accumulate. Um, and it was just above the the reference range, but yeah, I do eat a lot of B12 too. Yeah. I can I mean that this, that marker is good. The, the, the one below that folate mm. slightly on the, um, suboptimal. Yeah. Which, um, I think there was a homocysteine on here. I right. do have an MTHFR. Yeah. Um, and if you, and if you go down to MCV, mean yeah. corpuscular volume, yeah. you'll see that's, I mean, when you're, you're, you're definitely in the standard range of pretty much every single marker, but optimally there's it's on there, the cusp. There's the, yeah, there's that, you know, MCV elevation, which can, you know, be uh, indicative of like a B vitamin anemia from maybe the the MTHFR. Um, and, you know, homocyst- my homocysteine has been elevated in the I'm, past. I mean, it's not super high. I'm kind of jealous. So then I my, have mine had, is too. Mine is- but as soon as I put liver back in my diet, it all corrects. Nice. But I'm telling you, I'm definitely not liver queen. <laughs> I, it's so disgusting. Um, I, um, for a period of time, I was eating raw chunks of liver I felt very barbaric. It was amazing. Um, but what's crazy, maybe this is completely placebo effect, but when I would eat these like raw chunks of liver, you know how people take a five hour energy drink? Mm-hmm. I would literally feel like this like Bam. five hour energy. Like, I mean, I'm saying like I felt superhuman, but it tastes like a dirty gym sock. Yeah. That is my only analogy. Um, so then I was trying to do the capsules, but you guys have heard my spiel. I like taking a million pills, like, mm-hmm. um, so, but when I do take my liver, these things actually do improve. And I think it's from my MTHFR. Yeah. And, and speaking of your liver, like your liver enzymes are right on the money where we want them. AST, ALT. I just want to say these out loud, I guess, um, when you see them for the people here. Look good. Um, yeah. 18 for AST, it's 14 for ALT. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. So AST 18, ALT 14. You guys, I'm not drinking. Right. My liver doesn't have fat in it. It is doing what it's supposed to do. Doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Yep. Looks good. Um, stored iron is ferritin is a little on the, on the lower side. Um, serum iron looks great. So serum iron, normal 102 reference range, 85 to 130 ferritin, which is like a protein that kind of carries iron can be a marker of iron storage, little low 32.0 mm-hmm. optimal 45 to 79. And sometimes you got to correct ferritin too. This can be involved with thyroid too. Another thing, but the, the total iron binding capacity is normal. Mm-hmm. So these things can definitely get messed up and it can give you kind of a something, something I've been seeing a lot more, just late, lately, recently, is, is some patients with ferritin very high, like mm. 800. It's high. an acute phase reactant. So, like, if you get sick, if you have, like, chronic inflammation, ferritin can be, yeah, right. like, really high. 
Yeah, and it's just kind of like in the in they're kind of not feeling that great, you, you, typically. Um, and like just for reference, like we're saying these optimal ranges, right? Like Dr. Folkers said, the the quote unquote standard range for ferritin is sixteen to like mm-hmm. two hundred. Right. So technically, it's in the standard range, yeah, but it's not in the optimal range. Yeah, so you're in standard range with pretty much pretty much everything. Yeah, here. if we change the standard range, a lot of this turns green. But yeah, if we take, but it's if, still good if, to. Uh, if we change if we change the standard range, we'd be like, well, keep doing what you're doing. Don't see you next right. year. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, we want to, like I said, we want to make sure you're the best version of Jamie, and we want to make sure you're um, feeling amazing. So we can talk a little bit about some the you know cardiovascular markers yeah. you know in that and that can you know the things there's a lot of markers that can that correlate with um cardiovascular health and that that includes free testosterone that includes fasting insulin that includes vitamin d um c-reactive protein homocysteine these, some of these things we we didn't we didn't mention c-reactive protein yet but um your high sensitivity crp which is down at the bottom there i think one of the last markers. oh yeah uh-huh i mean it's it, it, once again in the optimal or in the standard range but just a little bit high so i think this is from my workout yeah so yeah i want it i didn't want to like let the (laughs) horse out of the gate you guys but i had to work out i already had a response for dr folkers (laughs) so high sensitivity crp this is definitely one you want to trend over time because like if if you were sick the day before if you had i don't know gotten a car accident on the way into your blood draw if you did a really hard workout at the gym that morning which is what i did that is supposed to cause inflammation when you work out hard at the gym that causes inflammation you get a bump in crp and then your body rests and repairs and it comes back down so i think my hscrp um it was 1.4 you guys it wasn't like off the charts uh quote unquote standard is still normal zero to 2.9 but um, right. When I see this in patients, when I see that it's five, six, you guys, I've seen it be 10, 15, 20. Um, right. It's, it's something crazy. you want to check over time um, because if it's chronically elevated, then that is, there is a burning, smoldering fire somewhere oh. in your body. It's hard because we don't know what causes it to be elevated when we see it high, but right. definitely not good for your cardiovascular system. Definitely not good. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, so all those markers are just on the, you know, borderline of of not being you know optimal homo like you said homocysteine 7.8 that's not too bad um i see patients 20 homocysteine you know yeah anytime it's above 10 i start right. taking my liver <laughs> that's good to <laughs> I'm know off the hook for a little bit but, or i take methylated b vitamin supplements so just like methylfolate for somebody mm-hmm. with mthfr if i see a high homocysteine i bring it down but this is super important because in the reproductive world high homocysteine can increase the risk of pregnancy loss um, preeclampsia, um, it can increase, um, thrombotic risk, um, when homocysteine is elevated. So they kind of like, uh, poo poo MTHFR a little bit in the reproductive world, unless homocysteine is high. So if I, if they come and tell me they've had an MTHFR, if I've tested or something like that, I always check a homocysteine. And what's funny is actually sometimes I can't get insurance to cover the MTHFR testing unless they have high, a high homocysteine. Wow. So so, in which yours is not technically even high. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's... Yeah, um, but I'm not surprised it's a little... Some point. Yeah. So, with, with with all of your lipids, I mean, total cholesterol, 164, triglycer- triglycerides are actually low. Um, Say this slower for the vegans. <laughs> for, the vegans. <laughs> for the vegans. Total, yeah, because I mean, I literally eat red meat and eggs a lot yeah. and bacon. I'm hungry. Total cholesterol, 164. Triglycerides, 52. LDL cholesterol, 95. 
HDL cholesterol 56. So, you know, when we look at like things like your, your fasting insulin, your, your A1C, your fasting glucose, and you know, some of these people are like, oh, I don't eat any sugar or carbs at all. And I always say, well, let's, let's look at your triglyceride to HDL ratio. Cause that's another good really yeah. indicator of insulin resistance. Yours is at point 52 to 56. So yeah. it's literally like less than one. Your, yeah. Yours is doing amazing right there. Which so. means that triglycerides are a blood fat. That's essentially fat in your blood. Correct. And so I'm burning those. I'm using those. I'm a fat burner. This is like a way to say like, are mm-hmm. you, you know, fat adapted? Yeah. So metabolically you're very healthy things to look right, you know, where we want to see them. Um, they're, you know, a, April B 74. Um, we, we did measure lipoprotein little a. Yeah. This is another interesting one, which, um, you know, that one, I'm still kind of like, so, uh, you know, um, the so verdict LP is little a, so my level was 86 right. optimals, like zero to 18 normals, like zero to 74. Mm-hmm. So it's even for the standard range, it's elevated. Um, this is very genetic. Yep. Very genetic. And I um, have very high genetic risk of cardiovascular disease. My um, my mom's mom, um, tons of cardiovascular mm. disease. Now it's hard because she was a smoker. Right. Um, but like occluded both of her femoral arteries, wow. level of atherosclerosis, had an abdominal aortic aneurysm, dissected her aorta at one. I mean, like lots of cardiovascular disease. Um, my own mother tons of cardiovascular disease mm. had a short stint of smoking in her life. Um, um, and, and then found out later she's a pre-diabetic, but so I think like genetically, and then of course my other side of my family, normal VMI diabetics, which is cardiovascular disease. <laughs> um, but my mom met with an integrative cardiologist and, and did some genetic testing and, and there is definitely some genetic yeah. susceptibility to cardiovascular disease. So I have checked this before on myself and I, I did know it was high. Mm-hmm. Previously, one time. Do you know what it was before? I'm just curious if it, um, they, say, they say it doesn't. Don't check it. It doesn't stand by. Doesn't change. It doesn't because I because I have heard of. I I think I might have it in my little. I keep this little. But, note tab. but while you while you find that you you, you 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 said it you so it's like there's you know this is like one this is one risk factor we have all these risk factors you you know being obese overweight high blood pressure you know insulin resistant you're diabetic smoking all those things if you're not doing all those things and you just have this one you're basically you've leveled the the playing field you know for yourself yeah yeah i don't have i don't have my previous lp little a but i know i've checked it before and i knew it was a little bit elevated but um oh interesting i have my homocysteines on here so my homocysteine at one time was 16.5 oh wow yeah yeah and and i've seen i've seen um lipoprotein a little a 250 you know, wow. it's, I've yeah, seen and that's really, like yeah. big time genetic risk. Those people yep. are like and if, high and, and risk. And if they're not doing all the things, it's like ticking time bomb. And, and, and unfortunately, I mean, some people walk around just pre-diabetic, you know, belly fat, smoking, drinking, alcohol, yeah. or high stress. Ticking time bomb. Yep. So, I mean, other than that, I mean, you're, you're, there's, there's not a lot of stuff I can make fun of you about. I mean, you're doing everything pretty good and go on and um <laughs> I mean, you're kind of i'm kind of jealous of your of a lot of your markers here <laughs> but you're doing a great job um let's see what else we can probably talk about uh, we're gonna check bends and then we're yeah, gonna have, check bends for yeah sure. we're gonna have i'm not competitive at all we'll have mm-hmm. a ranking system in the house <laughs> and whoever's on top gets to make all That's the decisions awesome. no yeah. i'm kidding <laughs> 
You can't compare yourself to your partner, you guys. You are completely genetically different and you are different sexes. And if you start comparing yourself to your male counterparts, mm-hmm. it's just not a good path to go down. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Even though we're the superior gender, okay? Even though, true. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, honestly, so the, 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 this is why I like reading these labs because it's kind of, you know, not not giving... Every, everyone doesn't have a clean bill of health if, if they're, you know... Well, we have to the, pick on my thyroid a little bit. In the standard bit range. Yeah, I, let's do that. I've had hypothyroidism. Well, actually, uh, yeah, I was like shocked because you. I, I thought you said you had like... Do you have Hashimoto's at one point or... No, okay. I... So when I got diagnosed, my TSH was above five. I can't mm. remember actually how high it was, but I was postpartum, which is a common time to be diagnosed with hypothyroidism because what happens in, in pregnancy, there's a lot of changes that happen with your thyroid, but then postpartum, your immune system turns back on. Mm-hmm. And this is when women will commonly get diagnosed with Hashimoto's yep. as the immune system turns back on. And you've got these, uh, the cell-free fetal DNA that circulates. So literally your baby's DNA is circulating and you can get things like this that happen when you wow. have like poor gut barrier lining, you put in somebody else's DNA into the bloodstream. It can incite autoimmunity. Um, and so, um, I just had a high TSH and my doctor was like, here's your 50 micrograms of levothyroxine. So I just took thyroid medicine through all my pregnancies. I'm not even sure they ever checked like a T4, free T3, you know, all of that. And then, um, I was like, you guys heard how bad I was at taking medicine. <laughs> I was so bad at taking it. I would forget to take it for multiple days. Oh, how I was diagnosed though, is I went in to my doctor because I was so sluggish. I was so fatigued had like brain fog. I was mm. really constipated and they checked a TSH and I had hypothyroidism and I definitely felt better when I started taking the medicine. And I noticed as they checked my labs that I seemed to feel the best when my TSH was between like one and two. Right. Um, and that's where yeah. like, I felt great. But then years later I was like, well, I definitely don't want to take this medicine for the rest of my life. And so as I started kind of this low carb journey, I, um, I ended up stopping my medication and then, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stop it and see what, I wasn't on a massive dose. I, I I honestly am not sure I got above like 50 or 75. Um, but I, um, went off of it. And ever since I reversed my insulin resistance, my thyroid has been normal. Wow. And then, you know, there was this debate when, you know, about thyroid and low carb diets. And I've been asked this on a lot of podcasts and what the literature would suggest is that we do see a reduction in free T3 sometimes, um, but we don't see a concomitant rise in TSH. So TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone. So that is the brain telling the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. So if you have low thyroid hormone, the TSH starts to elevate. That's how hypothyroidism is is diagnosed. Now in low carb diets across all the, the studies, which most of these are children with epilepsy, Sometimes we'll see a reduction in free T3, which is the active thyroid hormone, but the TSH doesn't go up. So a lot of people have hypothesized that maybe as insulin sensitivity improves, thyroid sensitivity is improving, and maybe wow. there's not a demand for large amounts of free T3. Now, it's not it's not advantageous to have a blazing, burning thyroid, just so you guys know that mm. the thyroid is kind of like the thermostat that's adjusting you know, what's coming in as far as nutrition and calories. And it's normal in any situation where you go on a calorically restricted diet that the thyroid will say, Hey, we don't have a lot coming in. Mm -hmm. Let's turn the engines down Mm -hmm. and we'll see TSH go up. We'll see thyroid hormones go down. 
So that's one thing you have to understand is it's not good to be hyperthyroid. I mean, sometimes right. patients are like, just give me all the, yeah. the drugs because they think the it's going to like burn the fat off them or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not good to have, you right. can demineralize your bone. You can, it's not yeah. good. Like caloric restriction actually extends life. Okay. Correct. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is at one point I did a bunch of like genetic SNP testing and I have a genetic SNP where I don't convert T4 into T3 very well. Mm. Um, which is interesting because at one point in my thyroid journey, I had switched over to NP thyroid or desiccated, you know, which the endocrinologists don't like, by the way. Right. Um, and, um, I'm not sure because at that time I was weaning off thyroid, but I do have certain subsets of patients that feel better taking both T3 and T4 replacement. And it could be because maybe there's that genetic, you know, issue going on there. I mean, you said it. You're, you're but my free T3 is 3.0. So for y'all that want to knock on, yeah. you need carbs for thyroid. <laughs> I well, mean. You, you, I mean, your TSH, and you're not on any medication. No, right I've, I have not taken medication since 2015. Okay. So yeah. eight years. I mean, TSH 2.24. And you said you felt best between one and two. Your rate just tiny bit above two. Okay, so when I was on medication, I felt best when it was one to two, but I'll say since I've been low carb, it seems to hover between two to three, but mm-hmm. I have no symptoms right. of hypothyroidism. Good. And to your, I mean, to whatever's going on, like your, your T, your free T3 to free T4 ratio is actually high. <laughs> Which is interesting yeah. because. So you're, yeah, you get, you you get enough T3. For, so, um, I mean, you're, you're looking good there. I mean, I think the thyroid. Good it's job, a, thyroid. Yeah, thyroid's doing, doing its job. <laughs> Definitely doing his job. So that's, I mean, and I, I mean, here's the thing. I'm usually spending. And I don't take iodine. I don't take, you know, like Selen- thyroid selenium. support supplements mm-hmm. or whatever either. Yeah, that looks really good. I mean, the thing is I'm spending, most of the time I'm spending so much time talking to people about their metabolic health, their insulin resistance, their, you know, their lipids. And I mean, everything here looks good. And especially someone who's, you know, following more of a, a, a plant or an animal-based diet, eating a lot of, of meats and proteins. It's good to know that it promotes health and, yeah. it's, and it shows it in your, in your blood work. Just a little magnesium and zinc, you guys. <laughs> Just, a li- I mean, yeah. And even that's like barely above. Well, um, and we have, um, this is optimal. another thing for minerals. We have a, um, like a super fancy reverse osmosis mm. water system in our house. And, um, it takes out like all the things. And so that could be another reason too. you know, right. I don't do like the mineral drops or whatever. I just get what I get in my electrolytes, but. Yeah. I mean, if you were a person that said you want to, you know, try to optimize your, your testosterone, your estrogen, maybe just for you, DHEA. And zinc can be important for testosterone. And and vitamin D. I very rarely see any patient with um, optimal testosterone and low vitamin D. I mean, most people have very low vitamin D. We're talking like. 25 maybe i've 30. seen a six yeah there's some low 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 yeah. um vitamin especially us midwest folk mm-hmm. in the in the in the winter time we, where we drive covered wagons we're very very pale and pasty <laughs> and i'm not i'm really <laughs> tan actually and i tan very easy like i definitely tan very easy so i get tons of like great sunlight in the, in the summertime well i mean you're you're too healthy for me Dr. Dr. Jamie, I don't know. I'm going to die one day. <laughs> so, but yeah, trying to figure out what's going to take me out. I would say like, if I were to say, give any recommendations, like, like to recap a little magnesium, little, some zinc, 
um, you know, get, you know, keep getting your, your sun exposure. Vitamin D is like pretty much right there. Like you said, you like to get a little higher. Um, if, if you ever want some support for digestion to optimize, you know, I, I, I really like to harp on, on digestion because, you know, so many people, um, are just not absorbing nutrients. And so that's, you know, we, we've kind of, if you look at our foods now, there's been so much hybridization mm-hmm. of, of everything, even, you know, even meats and, um, especially produce and, and, you know, kids actually like Brussels sprouts now, which is weird because they actually taste sweet. Cause you cook them in bacon. <laughs> yeah. Cause you cook. Yeah. And it, <laughs> but like thing that, you know, the bitterness. So that's why I like, you know, I really, um, you know, try to like, uh, educate people on like, you know, you know, adding in bitters and apple cider vinegar and things to optimize hydrochloric acid production to break down those proteins. Optimizing digestion is so important. So, I mean, there's some markers that like, not that you know, we talked about it, not that you have symptoms of this, but everyone can benefit as we age digestive enzymes just start yeah. to decline hydrochloric acid and that levels. contributes to this anabolic resistance because you need more protein right. and then your stomach acid's low and you're not yeah although yeah and so but everything with you you know thyroid looks great maybe a little bit more folate um okay you got, liver liver yep. magnesium and um, <laughs> a tropical vacation for some vitamin d <laughs> Other than that, you're looking pretty The other thing healthy. with vitamin D I've noticed with patients is um, a lot of people like to get up in the morning and take their, you know, handful of supplements or pills mm-hmm. or whatever. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble right. vitamin. You should take it with a fat-containing meal. Correct. A lot yeah. of people, there was this, I'll never forget this. I was watching this presentation once on um, vitamins, and this guy was like, you know, everybody says eat your salad, right? So they did this study where they gave somebody a salad, all the colors, eat your rainbow, right? All they were looking at was vitamin A, lycopene, right? That you mm. get from like tomatoes. The salad had red in it. And um, they looked at the type of dressing that they put on it. So, right? Everybody's like low fat dressings. Oh, it gosh. was like the fad, low fat, low fat, low fat. So they looked at one salad that had like low fat dressing on it and one salad that had, you know, olive oil, fat, mm. all the good, you know, things on top of it. And the person that ate the low-fat salad dressing, like, absorbed, like, no, because the vitamin A is a fat-soluble vitamin. So if you eat a salad (laughs) with low-fat dressing, you're not, there was, like, no lycopene absorption, like, no vitamin A. Then the person that ate the nice fat all over the salad absorbed it. So that's just something to consider if you're going to eat a high-carb, low-fat diet. It's hard to absorb those fat-soluble vitamins. A-D-E-K. Need those healthy fats. Another thing, too, about vitamin D a lot, maybe a lot of people don't know is we have three genes that contribute to our body's um, absorption, um, synthesis, and transportation. Mm-hmm. There's three different genes, and not everybody, not all of us have those optimized. And so, some people need to get out to the sun more frequently. Some people need to get spend more time in the sun. Yeah. And also, if people, you know, I talk to patients all the time. Oh, I'm outside golfing, mowing the lawn all the time. But I mean, you got to have a lot of your they skin got clothes on. Yeah, they yeah. got sunscreen yeah, on. Yeah, all those things. And, got, and so they live in Nebraska. Yeah, and then if and even if some people benefit more if they're supplementing with vitamin D, taking it multiple times instead of instead of just once a day, maybe morning, like you said, with some fat, and then maybe again. You're at, killing me now. At, at, 
<laughs> I, I like drops. I don't, I'm with we you. We know that once daily dosing, patient compliance is way <laughs> higher than twice a day, three times a day, or four times a I, day. I agree. I, I don't, I'm not, a, I don't like caps. If I can get anything in droppers or liquid. I'm yeah, good. we do have a vitamin D3, K2 in a drop. And, yep. um, and that's what I tell my pregnant mamas too, who need more vitamin D with breastfeeding. You can literally take the dropper and drop it on your nipple and then like feed mm. the baby. And, you know, wow. instead of trying to shove a dropper in a baby's mouth, but you can put the, the dropper in their mouth too. But, um, yeah, I love drops. It's such an easy yep. way, but I have tried magnesium, like nano magnesium drops. You guys, that does not taste good. You have no to bueno. put it in something flavored. Oh man. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> haven't so tried those The capsules are maybe a little better in that situation. But yeah, there's one from, uh, I did like a hair mineral analysis and I needed magnesium. Surprise, surprise. Um, and so I tried these nano magnesium drops from upgraded formulas. Yeah. You got a little flavor in there. Can't lie. So awesome. So, um, yeah. So you look like a picture of health to me. Okay. I'm going to live you guys. Mm -hmm. This is great. I'm going to live. Um, let me just thumb through this and make sure there's nothing else. So we talked about thyroid. We talked about the lipid panel. So what, um, like, is this kind of standardly mm -hmm. what you would recommend somebody test if this is kind of like what you would do for any person, right? Yep. Like who's coming in to just kind of find their weaknesses. So we checked a CBC and a CMP, which is going to give you your glucose, your liver kidney function, your blood counts. You want to check a fasting insulin. And then we checked thyroid, a whole panel. So we looked at thyroid antibodies, which were negative. We looked at the TSH, total T4, free T3, free T4. And then for cardiovascular health, we did a lipid panel, but we also included these extra markers, ApoB, LP little a, the high sensitivity CRP, um, which is really helpful. We looked at vitamin D, looked at some other vitamins like B12 and folate. We checked a cortisol, which was normal. We didn't talk about that, but it was, you need a, you need like a normal, you need a morning cortisol. Cortisol is a hard one to just check randomly. Right. Um, we checked the sex hormones. So progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, um, progesterone. But once again, if you're a woman, FSH and LH2, you mm -hmm. need to know where you're at in the menstrual cycle to kind of interpret these. So if you're going to walk into your doctor's office and ask to get these checked, um, you it, have, you it, have and to one more mark. So we, we didn't even talk about this with you. Prolactin is something I've uh, seen yeah, yeah. more and more mm -hmm. high prolactins. I mean, we've, we've been able, we've, We've diagnosed, well, I wouldn't diagnose, but we've caught a lot of the so prolactin is the hormone that makes you lactate right. and make milk. So it's sky high in somebody that's breastfeeding, recently breastfeeding. Yep. If you've had sex, if you've had an orgasm, if you've had nipple stimulation, if you've eaten a meal, mm -hmm. you get prolactin. So if you see a high prolactin, um, I always repeat it fasted in the morning. Yep. No sex, no nipple stimulation, <laughs> no nothing. Don't breastfeed yeah it's all over the place and so like all, so all, all those points you I mean that's we, we have to ask those questions those really comfortable questions and like oh yeah yeah like, see okay. I'm very used to asking <laughs> these questions so like nothing phases me but I had a guy who um I, I treat a very small subset of men who do hormone replacement therapy um I had a guy who came to me with a really low testosterone and his PCP had checked it sent him over for testosterone replacement therapy and I'm doing the intake on this guy and he's like really healthy like he eats healthy he works mm -hmm. out he doesn't drink a lot of alcohol like standard reasons why people have men have low testosterone right mm -hmm. lots of body fat visceral fat alcohol yep. intake um and he like wasn't meeting it and I was like you know I'm gonna check a prolactin on you and it was like sky high 
sent him for a pituitary MRI. He had a prolactinoma in his pituitary gland, sent him to endocrinology. They treated his prolactinoma and boom, his testosterone normalized. Totally. So it was like the vagina doctor cured the man with the low testosterone and high prolactin. And another hormone that is kind of demonized a little bit when it comes to men is, is estradiol. And Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been seeing more and more guys, you know, they test their their estradiol is like so low Mm -hmm. and like studies show for men, you know, it's, it's important to have optimal estradiol. Yeah. Estradiol is very protective to the cardiovascular system. So men are always worried about having high testosterone and there's even some testosterone replacement clinics that will give men medication to bring the estrogen down because Mm -hmm. they blast them with a bunch of TRT testosterone and they don't want them to get all emotional and cry at movies and get man boobs. Um, but I'm telling you, men, you need estrogen and it protects your cardiovascular system from all that testosterone. There's a reason that men have more cardiovascular disease than women until menopause. Mm-hmm. And then when women lose their estrogen, now their risk, because estrogen also helps with insulin sensitivity. Yep. So when women lose estrogen, they become insulin resistant. If men have low estrogen, that can contribute to a lot of problems with them too. But it's always one of those things, not too much, not too little, kind of in that, that optimal optimal range but that is something that's important for men too very important yep yeah all right well i'm sure you guys are gonna have ten thousand four hundred comments <laughs> or questions or whatever it is but i hope that this was helpful for you um i will i'll share my journey from here on maybe we'll recheck some of these things and kind of see where they're at now that we know where some of my weak spots are but i think that you know what gets measured gets managed. Exactly. So you gotta you gotta figure I it like out. That. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, this is a great way. This is a typical kind of comprehensive panel we like to offer for anyone out there that just wants to get an idea of a baseline where they're at. You know, like you even said it. You wish you would have had some of these markers and been, see them years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's never you know it's never too early or too late to find out where you are. At least you know now you're aware. Now you can take responsibility. And that allows you to be your best advocate and the patient is the doctor of the future. Yeah. And I have never met a patient that was perfect. Right. <laughs> I mean, like we all have something we could work on and everything's always in flux, right? So you might do like really well for a period of time and then, you know, struggle here and there. So I always think these things are good to just get checked on a regular basis. So can people, um, through blokes enjoy, mm-hmm. do you do this kind of testing for people? Yeah, we now even have it available uh, on our websites where people can actually um, go and click the comprehensive panel. We have a basic hormone panel that looks at the hormones. We have a yeah. metabolic panel that's kind of more metabolically, and this is the comprehensive uh, panel that looks at the, like all, like all the things you just kind of went through, which you give a really good summary, by the way, on, on all those <laughs> markers, so that it just really gives a deep dive. Um, I watched a YouTube it's, video. <laughs> it's really difficult to get uh, something like this ordered through your doctor. You know? Oh, it's extremely hard. And I'll say from a practitioner standpoint, mm-hmm. like um, when you order these things individually, I mean, I mm-hmm. don't know you guys, I'd have to count off. There's like three pages of labs. Right. Some of these things will come in panels, but a lot right. of them don't. So like your doctor is not, they're not going to be excited about ordering like no. 42 different things. And then a lot of times the lab will charge individually for right. these things. So you could run up a massive laboratory bill. So it's not that your doctor doesn't want to check it, but they're also trying to be cost conscious. So a lot of times going to a place that has like a panel that's been created where they have, they have, um, 
Oh my God. Like I'm totally, you guys, it's my, my <laughs> folate. It's my magnesium. My brain does not work. Great. Um, they have basically, um, made an agreement with the lab Correct. at yeah, a price point that isn't like $10,000 to check all the labs. Well, well like you even mentioned, uh, you know, Peter Tia, he put, he did a, a post recently. He took his son to like an ER and they just looked at the uh, CMP and it was like $2,500. Yeah. It's like, and it, it, you know, it's, and, and if, and I try to um, go back and forth with these lab companies to get a, um, a really, you know, good deal. And um, just going on their site and, and like you said, and entering these in, these in each individual, it was like $5,000. Yeah. Is what it, and so I went, I went back and said, no, we can't, this is, no one can afford this. And so we kind of really had to negotiate. And so we, we have a very, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, negotiate. Nego- <laughs> <laughs> that was the word. We really had to negotiate and, uh, yeah, uh, but there are, um, get this affordable. Yeah, and, and I only know about that process too, because, uh, through our gym upgrade performances too, we do some lab testing, but we don't bill through insurance. So yep. when a patient's coming in to pay cash for something like that, then you want to negotiate the best price it, you can for like these big panels. And oftentimes, unfortunately, when you try to go through insurance, then the, the lab is going to bill your insurance rates and yeah. then it's just, you know, and if there's, you know, a lot of these markers are not deemed medically necessary. Like, well, why are you ordering this for Dr. Right. We have to have a diagnosis code. And for instance, you guys, they never will pay for vitamin D unless the patient has a diagnosed vitamin D deficiency. And I'm sitting there like, well, somebody had to check it the first time (laughs) to figure out that they had a vitamin D deficiency. Like, you know, if I'm the first woman checking it, then like, that's what yeah. I'm looking for. But the insurance companies are just bogus. And so sometimes patients have to pay out of pocket if we don't have a specific diagnosis code that justifies the testing. Yeah. And, and a panel like this can not, not only can it be life changing for some people, but it can be life saving when you, you can discover something that, you know, that is there long before it becomes yeah. a, a problem. So but you said it at the beginning of, you yeah. know, this recording that we're just much more reactive, you know, right. than and in medical school, they say that don't order a lab unless you know specifically what you're looking for. Right. Like don't right. just order like 10,000 labs. Cause some of these things do have to be interpreted, you know, like for instance, the positive ANA, like, yep. you know, I'm pretty confident I don't have lupus or something like <laughs> that, but um, but I just think this is, I mean, I'm a nerd. I love the data, but you know, get these things checked, get, get them regularly, kind of know, you know, where the, the blind spots and things like that are. So I hope this was helpful, you guys, hope it was. but, um, share it, tag us. Um, and, um, if you're interested, go check out blokes Enjoy and, and, um, see about getting some labs checked. Let's all try to be as healthy as Dr. Jamie. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> it's just stay hard to kill. I'm is selling it? you, look, I got, I got some things I got to work on, but um, we just, at every phase of our life, we have new challenges and, um, we're all going to die one day. Like that is, mm-hmm. that is a hundred percent guaranteed. If I figure out a way to not die, trust me, I will share it with all of you, but something at one point is going to take me out. Um, but we're just gonna, we're going to wake up every single day and just be so grateful that we have today. And I'm grateful to be sitting here at this table with you talking about labs. And I mean, there could be much worse things uh, to be sitting here debating. Um, And these things could change. So we just, uh, we know where we're at now. So you guys go get your lab checked and uh, we will check you on the next episode. Awesome. Thanks.